Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 42, and today I want to talk about love, and especially about mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law. The reason I want to talk about this topic is because we're anticipating the wedding of my son Callum to his fiancée Casey. That happens on Saturday. By the time you listen to this podcast, they will be married because I'm recording this a few days early. Yes, weddings have been on our minds this week. All our activities have centered around the wedding. For example, yesterday, We went out on a pre-wedding morning tea. It was morning tea just for Elvis girls, or soon-to-be Elvis girls. So I took my four at-home daughters, Imogen, Charlotte, Sophie and Gemma Rose, and we invited along Casey, who is going to be an Elvis girl very soon. Now, Casey is the same age as my daughter Imogen, or just about. She's 21, and Imogen turns 21 in a couple of months' time. The girls have all been friends for uh, quite a few years now. I think we've known Casey at least six years. The girls probably know her a little bit longer because they went to St. John Ambulance meetings with her before I knew her. That's where Callum and Casey met, at St. John Ambulance. So we had a lovely morning tea yesterday. We just went down to the local shopping mall and ordered coffees, milkshakes, donuts. Nothing particularly special. We just wanted to spend a little bit of time together before the wedding, anticipate Casey becoming one of the family. And I was anticipating her becoming one of my daughters. Yes, I'm going to have six daughters, as long as Casey's mum doesn't mind. Yeah, I hope that I'm going to be able to share Casey and I want to treat her like any of my other daughters. I guess to do that, I have to be a good mother-in-law. So I've been thinking about what makes a person a good mother-in-law. I actually googled that question because you can find the answers to anything on the internet if you go looking in the right places. I didn't actually do a lot of reading online. I was more interested to see if you could actually get an answer to that question because I have a few ideas of my own. I don't know if they're going to be the right answers if I am going to be a good mother-in-law, but I'm going to try. I think that I'm going to have to love Casey unconditionally, just like any of my children. I'm going to have to keep trusting that My son and Casey have made the right decision. Keep respecting them. They're adults. I want to keep treating them as I'd like to be treated or as I would treat any other adults. Just because they're my son and daughter-in-law doesn't mean that I can treat them any differently from anybody else that I respect. I think I have learned an awful lot from being a daughter-in-law. I haven't been a very good daughter-in-law, I have to admit. My mother-in-law and I never got off to a very good start. I always felt that she disapproved of me. She never said she did, but she wasn't overly welcoming, and she was always very quiet. She never talked about anything of importance. And I think maybe this was just her way. Maybe I read more into that than was necessary. Maybe I imagined 
the way she felt about me, and maybe I was wrong. We can often make up our minds about something without really knowing the truth about it. I know that I was very different from my mother-in-law. I imagined that I wasn't what she wanted for her son. For a start, my mother-in-law was a Catholic, and I wasn't. I probably was very defensive about my whole situation. And because my mother-in-law never really said anything very welcoming to me, she never said, I'm really happy that you're marrying my son, I didn't really feel accepted. I thought the problem probably revolved around the issue of Catholicism. And so I vowed that I'd never, ever become a Catholic. I dug my heels in. I didn't want to please my mother-in-law. I closed my mind to the possibility of ever becoming a Catholic because of her. Famous last words. Of course, I was wrong. I did become a Catholic in time. My heart did soften and I began to see the truth that I'd closed my mind to. But it's amazing what, what relationships can do to you. And all this was not because of anything my mother-in-law said. It was all because of things that she never put into words. And as I said, it was probably just her way. She was probably a very quiet person who didn't like to express what was inside of her. But I think that I needed to hear it. I might go back a little and tell you a little bit about how I met Andy. I met him in England, where we were living for a while. We both went to university in at different universities in Wales. And at the end of our third year, we got married. When we were talking about our plans to get married, I told Andy that I wanted to return to Australia, that that's where I wanted to live. And he was quite agreeable. He hadn't lived anywhere but the same city for all his life, but he was open to new adventures. And so we planned to come to Sydney as soon as we were married. And we actually came two weeks after the wedding. Now, I never considered what this decision meant to my mother-in-law. And if I had sat down and thought about it very carefully and had realized what I was doing, would I have cared? Would I have cared that she would have been hurt by us moving halfway around the world to a place where she wouldn't be easily be able to see her son again? I suppose I was determined to keep Andy all to myself. I wasn't interested in being a good daughter-in-law. One time, just before the wedding, Andy's mum had said, you don't really want to marry my son, do you? And I interpreted that as, I don't really want you to marry him. It might not have meant that at all. But yes, it made me very possessive. I wanted to keep Andy all to myself. I told her, of course I want to marry your son, and I'm going to. My mother-in-law did travel from England to Australia several times to see us. There were few years between each visit. She came at the births of three of our children. The last time she came was when our son Thomas was born, and of course she was here for his death as well. Now we were always really polite to each other, but we didn't know how to communicate very well. And at the time when Thomas died and I was immersed in my grief, we certainly didn't have the skills to talk about what was really important. We had a lot of misunderstandings at that time. Yeah, grief blurred my vision and she just didn't know how to help me. 
but some good did come out of that visit. And I wrote about this in a blog post some months ago. The story is called Ironing Away the Pain. And I hope you don't mind if I share that. Are you okay? She asks. No, I'm not. My words whip her in the face and it crumples as she takes two steps back from the ironing board. I don't care. I push past her and out of the back door. I fling myself face down upon the grass beneath a tree. I take a sobbing breath that hurts my ribs, and the pain rises up from deep within me. It gushes out, wave after wave, never ending. And then I become aware of someone standing over me. She's holding out a cup of tea. Tea? I ignore it. I climb to my feet and push past the woman. Moments later, my bedroom door slams. I've shut her out. All your mother ever says is, Are you okay? I complain to my husband. She asks that question a hundred times a day. I'm so sick of it. What does she expect me to say? Of course I'm not okay. I don't think I'll be okay ever again. Andy enfolds me in his arms. She's only trying to help. She's worried about you. She doesn't know what else to say. What is there to say when a daughter-in-law loses a baby? Late at night, when I lie exhausted in bed, I can hear her talking with Andy. She doesn't like me, I say the next morning. She doesn't talk to me. But she watches me. She watches me as she irons the clothes. All she does is iron the clothes, I complain. She even irons the underwear and the sheets. The pain thuds in my chest. Mum irons the clothes. Thomas remains dead. And then the day arrives when Mum is to return to her own home. We sit around the table for one last coffee and I say, thank you for coming. And she replies, I wouldn't have missed being with you for anything. Then the words that have been stuck deep inside us for weeks start moving. They rise to our lips and we talk. We really talk. We talk for the first time ever. I'm so proud of you, she says. You're the daughter I never had. She's gone. Andy drove her to the airport. The house feels empty. I look around, and I notice the piles of ironed clothes, ironed with care, ironed with concern, ironed with love, ironed because it was all she could do. Sometimes grief makes us blind. Sometimes we are wrong. That was the last time I ever saw my mother-in-law. We never again sat at the same table, sipping coffee and chatting. But we spoke many times on the phone. Hello, she'd say. Are you okay? I'd smile and answer, Yes, Mum, I'm okay. I really am. And I was. Yes, that was the last time I ever saw my mother-in-law. And I think back to all those years where we could have had a better relationship. It seems to me to be such a waste. And I don't want to waste time with my own daughter-in-law. I want us to be able to talk and to love each other from the very beginning, 
to help each other in, so I can encourage her and support her and she can bring a lot to my life as well. I already love Casey and I'm glad she is marrying my son. But if I didn't like her, would it make any difference? I don't really think so. I think just like we have to love our children unconditionally, we have to accept and love their spouses too. Yeah, we have to trust our children's choices, respect them as adults. And most importantly, I think we have to make sure they know this. We must avoid misunderstandings. We must make sure that they do know that they are accepted and loved. Yeah, because it's a wonderful thing to feel accepted. And it's awful when we don't feel accepted. It makes us very unhappy. It also makes us unloving and defensive. We want to strike out to protect ourselves. I think about the kind of people we want our children to marry. I guess we all have a checklist of things that we mentally go through when we're thinking about spouses for our children. Do we want the people that our children marry to be exactly like us so that they will fit in, so they live up to our ideas? I don't think that our children are ever going to marry anyone exactly like us. I don't think that's a problem either. Maybe it is actually good. When people are different, they bring new things to the family. They enrich our lives. They teach us new things. They make us grow in virtue and love. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Casey will bring to our family. Now, she's a loving and generous and very friendly person, interested in everybody. I have no doubt that she's going to bring lots of wonderful things to our family. On the lighter side, I think she's going to bring us some genes for tallness because she's taller than all of the females in our family because we're all really rather short. We all hover around the five-foot mark. So we've been joking around with Casey saying that, yeah, she's going to bring, bring us up in the world, make us all a bit taller. Well, not us, but yet the Elvises. And also, she's going to bring some red hair genes into the family. And we've already already got red hair genes in our family because of me. But Andy and I have never been able to have red-haired children because obviously Andy never brought the genes into the family. Yeah, red-haired children wasn't something that Andy and I were able to achieve by ourselves. So that's something that Casey may bring to our family. Sunday, it was Father's Day here in Australia, and we went to visit my father. We also wanted to do something special with Andy because it's his day as well. And it can be a dilemma sometimes trying to include both husbands and fathers in celebrations. We love both. We want to honour both and to do something special with both. So on Sunday, we went over to see my father and spent an hour or so with him before then going on a picnic with Andy. We took a picnic to the lake. It was a pretty awful day for a picnic. It was raining when we got there. The upside of the rain was that there weren't many other people at the lake because that's a very popular place on days like Mother's Days and Father's Days. 
and it can be very hard to get a picnic table. You're rubbing shoulders with lots of other families. Well, we didn't actually need a picnic table on Sunday because we had our picnic in the car, but we had a beautiful view of the lake. We drew up alongside it, plenty of parking, and we enjoyed our picnic in the car with the with the windows steaming up. And we loved having picnics like this. Sitting in the car feels like a world of our own. It's a bit of a novelty and nobody really minds. It might have been nice to have sat in the sun and then gone for a walk around the lake. But we're adventurous. The weather didn't put us off. We had a Father's Day picnic in the car by the lake. But back to Callum and Casey and mother and daughter-in-laws. I sometimes wonder if Callum and Casey will worry about keeping both sets of the in-laws happy and then themselves and their own family happy when they actually have children of their own. What happens when occasions come round like Father's Day or Mother's Day or Christmas? Will they feel that they have to come and visit us and put their own family second? Will they think we'll get upset if they choose to put themselves and their own family first? I've thought a lot about this, about how when adult children leave the family home and go off to make lives of their own, they really shouldn't have to keep their parents happy. To do things just so we won't get upset with them. Maybe we have to let our children go so completely that when they do come back and they do visit us and they do say things like, I love you, mum, and they do bring us little gifts and pay us little attentions, that we know all that love is genuine. They're not saying it to keep us happy. They're coming to visit us, not because they have to, because it's Father's Day or Mother's Day, but because they want to. That would mean so much to me. I would rather see them less, knowing that they're paying attention to themselves and their own family. But when they do come to visit, knowing that they come purely out of love. Yes, they will be free. They're free to go, but they're also free to return. Free to keep loving us. So I hope we're not going to have any problems on big occasions like that. I don't want them saying, look, we'll go and see your mother for Christmas lunch and we'll see my mother for Christmas dinner in the evening and not allowing any time for what they really want to do. Of course, I do hope that they will come and see us at Christmas or maybe it is up to us to go and see them, but not because it's out of a sense of duty. So in a couple of days' time, I'm going to have a new daughter, Casey, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a wonderful day. We've almost finished all the wedding preparations. We have the wedding practice tomorrow night. Imogen has a music practice tomorrow. She's singing uh, most of the hymns. We got the order of service done yesterday. That's been printed off and it looks wonderful. I think that probably the girls will try on their clothes just one more time to make sure that they're all ironed and look great. The girls have been practicing different hairstyles to find the best one for the wedding. And I guess the next big thing will be the arrival of my daughter Felicity and her husband tomorrow. They're coming from Perth, which is on the other side of, of Australia. And we haven't seen them for four years. Not since they got married here in our home parish yeah, four years ago. So I haven't had 
any practice at being a mother-in-law to Graham because I haven't seen him since Felicity and he got married. So I'm looking forward to getting to know him a bit over the next few days because they're here in New South Wales and here for a few days after the wedding. No doubt I'll have some wedding stories to tell you on the next episode of my podcast. So I hope you'll come back to find out how we all got on. Before I finish this podcast, like usual, I'd like to share some resources. And the ones I've chosen today are all to do with love. Yes, we've been talking about love and I have found some books and things on that topic. Now, the first thing I want to share with you is an Australian author. His name is David Metzenthen. He writes uh, novels for young people. And recently, Imogen was telling me about some of his books, and she wrote a blog post about romance and his books. She briefly outlined two of his books called Tigerfish and Jarvis 24. We had a wonderful conversation in the car before she wrote this blog post, and she was telling me what she liked about these books. And it was to do with the way that love is portrayed. My girls aren't very keen on books and movies where there's a lot of kissing and a lot of visual love that goes sort of over the top. They always say, that wasn't necessary. They don't think much of a lot of the romantic books and movies that are around these days. I've got a little excerpt here from Imogen's blog post, which explains what she does want in a romance and why she likes David Metzenthen's novels. These are the romances I want to see more of in books. I want to see couples who trust and respect each other. I want to see people who have a significant other, but who also don't give up on the other people in their lives. I want to see more romances where love isn't just good feelings and kissing but it's also about helping each other through hard times and respecting and encouraging each other's dream, even if that means letting go of them. Yes, the girls don't think that a lot of the romantic books and movies portray love as it really is. There is no doubt that love is more than feelings, and there is no doubt that when two people love each other, they don't live happily ever after. There's going to be a lot of suffering in life ahead of Casey and Callum, just like for any other married couple. But married couples who do love each other will support and love each other through all those hard times and grow together. That's what I'm hoping for Callum and Casey. When they do hit these obstacles in life, they're not going to give up, but they're going to use these occasions to grow stronger together so their love does increase and they grow as people. So David Metzenthen's novels are contemporary novels, but my girls really enjoy Jane Austen's novels too. And though a lot of people might think that they're dated and old-fashioned, what can they teach us about love today? I have got a book called The Jane Austen Guide to Happily Ever After. It's written by an author called Elizabeth Cantor. 
and she believes that modern day people can learn a great deal from Jane Austen's novels about love. So I've got a little excerpt here from the Amazon description. It says, "Women today are settling for less than we want when it comes to men, relationships, sex, and marriage." But we don't have to argues Elizabeth Cantor. Jane Austen can show us how to find the love we really want. In the Jane Austen Guide to Happily Ever After, Cantor reveals how the examples of Jane Austen's heroines, such as Elizabeth Bennet, Eleanor Dashwood, and Anne Elliot, can help us navigate the modern-day minefields of dating, love, relationships, and sex by following in their footsteps. And steering clear of the sad endings suffered by characters such as Maria Bertram and Charlotte Lucas, modern women can discover the path to lifelong love and true happiness. Charged with honesty and humor, Cantor's book includes testimonies from modern women, pop culture parallels, the author's personal experiences, and of course, a thorough examination of Austen's beloved novels. Now I haven't read all the book, even though I do have a copy. It has got good reviews on the internet. If you go looking, what age group would I recommend it for? Not having read the whole book, I'm not too sure, but I would say the upper teenage years. If we can't discuss sex and dating with our girls, I don't think they're ready for the book. Gemma Rose is watching the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice at the moment. Yeah, the long one with loads of episodes. Every night she's been watching one or two episodes. We have watched that series many, many times, and we never actually get tired of it, which just goes to show what a classic it is. But the other night we were watching the episode where Elizabeth goes to visit Charlotte Lucas, and Charlotte tells Elizabeth how she spends as little time as possible in the company of her husband. And that's how she survives. And I was thinking, how sad that is to marry someone that you do not love, and then you don't try to get closer to them. You just don't want to spend time. You find an arrangement that will allow you both to keep on living, and keep both of you relatively happy, without committing yourselves. But really, she just wanted a home, someone to marry. She wasn't looking for love and gave up on love, I suppose. But even if we marry a person who doesn't fulfill all our dreams, it doesn't mean that we can't change and they can't change and that we can't grow closer together. I think that is a very sad story. Of course, you can find a lot of love in Shakespeare's plays. I guess the most famous love story of them all, though, of Shakespeare's is Romeo and Juliet. Now, our favourite version of Romeo and Juliet is the Franco Zeffirelli version, even though there is a topless nude scene in it, which we skip over quickly. It is visually beautiful, and there is a book written by Joseph Pierce that I want to mention about that Shakespeare on Love, and he examines the play Romeo and Juliet. He's also written a number of other books. On Shakespeare, I guess he's approaching Shakespeare from a Catholic perspective. Charlotte, in particular, enjoyed Shakespeare on love. Now, here's a little bit about that book. 
star-crossed Romeo and Juliet are Shakespeare's most famous lovers, and perhaps the most well-known lovers in literary history. Though the young pair has been held up as a romantic ideal, the play is a tragedy ending in death. What then, asks Pierce, is Shakespeare saying about his protagonists? Are they the hapless victims of fate, or are they partly to blame for their deaths? Is their love the real thing, or is it self-indulgent passion? And what about the adults in their lives? Did they give the young people the example and guidance they needed? I've often talked about Romeo and Juliet with my girls. We've had some really great discussions around the table about the play. And did they really love each other? Did they know what real love was all about? We doubt it very much. But yeah, it's been a very interesting topic to talk about. I've got one more thing that I want to share about love, and that is the Love Comes Softly series by Jeanette Oak. Love Comes Softly is only one of the series that she has written. Yes, she's a very prolific author. I would describe the novels as Christian romance. I saw a review that described them as Little House on the Prairie for adults. They're easy reading. I've only read a couple of them, but my girls have read loads of them. And they did enjoy them very much. They're nice love stories. The love isn't in your face. They're the sort of novels that you could give to any teenager. They could be described as safe novels. Of course, there's other great movies and miniseries that all center around love, such as Charles Dickens's uh, Little Dorrit and Bleak House. They're ones in particular that we've enjoyed. And Elizabeth Gaskell. Last night, Gemma Rose was watching Wives and Daughters for about the sixth time. But we also love North and South. All these are books as well as DVD miniseries. I think I've come to the end of what I wanted to share with you this week. If you're interested in any of those resources or any blog posts on the topic of love or fiction, I'll put some links in a blog post on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I hope you'll go over and visit. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes or you could follow it through Podbean or you could just visit my blog regularly where I embed these podcasts. I think the endings of my podcast are becoming a little bit predictable. I shall have to think of a more exciting way to end my podcasts. Next week, I'll be a mother-in-law for the second time. I also hope to be back with another episode. I'd just like to thank you for listening today and to also say trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Mm-hmm.